Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, have you destroyed any watches recently with your um, electromagnetic field? Uh, Not recently, but uh, yeah, I have laid waste to several. See, now, this was a fairly new thing to me. Um, my, my sister, Lucy, brought this up to, to me. She said, have you guys ever looked into this this uh, this idea that some people cannot wear watches because the watches always stop? And uh, you know they'll, they'll, they'll try out a wristwatch. Within a few weeks, it stops. Get another one, it stops. And they are essentially a person who cannot wear them for some natural or supernatural reason. But you've been in, you've been experiencing this your entire life. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I'm not really someone who wears watches, and and so when I did wear them, and it's been years now, mm-hmm. um, I would go to put them on, and then they wouldn't work. Fairly recently after I put them on. Now, memory is fuzzy, and I will say that if you don't wear your watches regularly, then you're probably apt to put one on that's going to die. The battery is about to conk out. So that could definitely be an explanation. But it could be that I have a crazy electromagnetic field radiating out outward and and just shutting everything down. What do you think? Well, as we'll discuss, I tend to uh, err on the side of skepticism. Uh, with, with all of this. But but it's a fascinating topic because no, it is, yeah. Because it's I mean there's a little bit of science mixed in here, a little bit of pseudoscience, mm-hmm. uh, a little just a bit of just basic psychology going on. Yes. Uh, like one thing that instantly comes to mind when someone says, "Oh, I can't wear watches because when I wear them they break." It kind of reminds me of someone saying, "Oh, um, I don't eat spinach because I don't like it." And then you want to ask, "Well, when is the last time you had spinach?" Did you have spinach like once when you were five and then you bought into, into this idea that you don't like it? Or is it like a re- recurring thing where every time you try spinach, every day you don't like it? I mean, it's there, there's so many factors that come into play with our experience versus our expectation of the world. It's true. And even though I know better about the watches, I can't help but, but to sit there and think, but... I even got an oscillating watch, and that one also died. Um, so, but it's true. That's why I think this is so interesting. And there's there's a really good observation by Slate writer Juliette Lapiditos in her article, "Really, a man can't become a magnet," on why watch stopping uh, this myth of watch stopping is so pervasive. She says, "quote It's both scientific seeming, since magnetic fields can, after all, interfere with electrical devices, and vaguely magical." Since magnetic forces operate invisibly, the best of both worlds for people who aren't entirely satisfied by a materialistic worldview, but aren't willing to reject materialism outright. Yeah, and it's kind of it, it's sciencey superstition. You know, mm-hmm. it, it gives you a you can sort of fool yourself into believing it because it sounds possible, right? I mean, they're on the surface of things until you start looking a little deeper. Well, yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that a magnetic field is produced whenever an electrical charge is in motion, right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and we are electrical creatures. I right. mean, what the, the the experience of the world that we're having right now, our, our thoughts, everything, I mean, this is, this is electronic in nature. I mean, essentially, we're a spark inside of a bunch of meat. It's true, because all of those meat tissues and organs produce specific magnetic pulsations, and so this is creating this biomagnetic field. So, of course, you know, all of this is really interesting material to get into, but... But in order for us to get into it in the right way, we should probably just do a little 101 overview of the magnetic field. Because that in and of itself is uh, amazing, and it's not totally, clearly understood by scientists yet. Right. So what is the, what is the magnetic field? What is it emitted by? 
Well, the Earth's metal core, because it's acting like a giant magnet, and it's emanating a magnetic field with two poles, right? You've got your North mm-hmm. Pole and your South Pole. And then these two magnetic poles kind of roughly match where the planet's geographic North and South Poles lie, which mark the axis on which they were spinning. So everything in between there is is creating these magnetic fields. And as we discussed in the Stuff to Blow Your Kids' Mind video series... Uh, I mean, this actually ends up protecting the planet. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's highly important just in, ter- in terms of a very basic life can exist on Earth level. Uh, because, because not every planet is going to have this. The, the core situation has to be just right to make it happen. Yeah, it's really cool because it's kind of like an umbrella. It's shielding us from everything that, you know, deep space and the sun is throwing at us, right? Mm-hmm. Without this, we would be fried meat bags. Exactly. We wouldn't have even become Yeah, we would have never bags. gotten off the ground. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, uh, you know, quick insight in how it's working, you know, at least um, in our, on our planet. But I wanted to also talk a little bit more about the magnetic field and how humans and animals use them. Because this, again, is something that is still uh, trying to be figured out by scientists. It's still an amazing thing, the magnetic field being able to orient uh, something like the monarch butterfly in right. its navigation. Yeah, butterflies are a great example, uh, various birds, foxes, animals that use the magnetic field for navigation purposes. Uh, and it, it continues to be, like you say, a fascinating research topic because it's, for the most part, something we don't get on a biological level. I mean, uh, as, there, as the research shows, I mean, there's, it's, it's not like these creatures are completely alien and completely dissimilar to us, mm-hmm. but they are able to tap into it and, 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 and use it in a way that we cannot well, there's no one mechanism that you can point to and say, ah, right. this is the reason why, say, a bird or a butterfly can use the magnetic field. But there is something called cryptochromes, and these are a bit of a clue for us. These are a class of light-sensitive proteins found in plants and animals. Flavo proteins, even. Flavo. Which, which Fla- sounds delicious. But. <laughs> yeah, um, in humans, it's found uh, in the retina. The, the cryptochrome, and uh, it's been, of course, studied in birds and monarch butterflies. It's very much a part of uh, circadian rhythms as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, so it it's uh, it, it's not something where we can again we can point to it and say, there you go. This is this is here exclusively for electromagnetic field uh, sensibility. Yeah, and uh, if you look at it, we're not going to go into it too much because we could do an entire podcast yeah. on it, really. But if you look at it in birds, uh, the cryptochromes are really helping to. Um, sort of kick off this, at the quantum level, this whole process and the light sensitivity and the magnetic field in birds' eyes. And uh, it's these sort of changes that are going on that help to detect whether or not the sun is in this position and the magnetic field is being sensed in this direction. It's really fascinating. But the thing I wanted to get to is uh, Stephen M. Reppert. He is a neurobiologist at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and his colleagues Lauren Foley and Robert Giger have been studying these cryptochromes and they uh, futzed around with the genes of a fly, and they found that they a fly could detect magnetic fields, but only when its cryptochrome gene was in good working order. So yeah. that gave them the clue to say this is really important in the detection of magnetic fields. And these are fruit flies, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Always uh, a good uh, test subject for uh, for various genetic tinkering. Yeah, so then the researchers subbed the fruit flies' genes for the monarch's genes, and they found the same thing. Okay, then they said, what about humans, of course? Uh, so one of the monarch's two cryptochrome genes is similar in its DNA sequence to the human cryptochrome gene, okay, because we have mm-hmm. it as well. 
So that prompted the idea of seeing whether the human gene, too, could restore magnetic sensing to fruit flies whose own gene had been knocked out. Yeah, so they're using the, the, the monarch butterfly genes mm-hmm. to fix this disabled fruit fly. And then they're saying, can we do the same thing? Can we fix the fruit fly with human cryptochromes? And they did. So that kind of said, all right, if, if this exists in um, in a monarch butterfly and this exists in fruit flies and this helps them to sense the magnetic field, then certainly there's something going on in the human eye with these cryptochromes and the magnetic field. So this opened up this this whole sort of Pandora's box of questions. Um, Rupert says of the cryptochrome in the human eye, it's beautifully poised to sense light, but we don't know if it has the downstream pathways that communicate magnetic information to the brain. The possibility exists. So the question becomes, you know, are we overstating the the cryptochrome mm-hmm. and its ability to sense the magnetic field? Or did humans once have a more refined ability to sense the magnetic field with a cryptochrome? Yeah, and to what extent is it possible that we could in some cases see the magnetic field uh, or at least in some way sense it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, and you get into whole other quandaries about the possibility of super seers, people who, you know, can see the world a little differently, see extra colors. What, what if they can, what if a particularly gifted artist is actually seeing to some degree uh, this electromagnetism in the world around them. Well, so I immediately started to think about transhumanism because it's been mm-hmm. on our minds a lot lately. And I thought, well, this is one of those things that you would want to tinker with. Yeah. Why well, see with our limited vision when you could, you know, completely uh, turbo charge everything to where you can see in the electromagnetic spectrum as well. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more on this topic. All right, we're back. We're talking about our electronic brains mm-hmm. and our meat bodies. We're talking about people who wear watches and claim that their magical electronic properties make the watches stop, maybe even fall off their hands. I, I tend to imagine it that way, like somebody like Julie trying to wear a wristwatch, and it just stops and just falls completely off your hand. It just, uh, just bursts crumbles into, into flames. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, okay, so let's get back to this idea that your brain, your body, um, is pulsing with electricity, yes. sort of. And, I mean, it is. I mean, like we said, the, your thoughts in your head, this is essentially an electronic um, situation. The, your, your nerves, I mean, these are electronic signals. I really liked this description from a writer named Ferris Jabra from Scientific American. He said, your brain is electric. Tiny impulses constantly race among billions of interconnected neurons, generating an electric field that surrounds the brain like an invisible cloud. That's quite poetic. Um, But it does talk to this idea that the brain is enveloped in these countless overlapping electrical fields. And uh, this is generated by the neural circuits of scores of these communicating neurons. And then uh, the, th- the idea behind this is that uh, this weak electromagnetic field, because remember, it is weak. This is not a strong mm-hmm. uh, EMF here, that this uh, electromagnetic field actually helps the brain's neurons to fire together. So it does serve a purpose here. It's not just sort of generating electricity because it's working so hard. Right. And then, of course, we live in a world where there are just constantly fields all around us, all the devices in our house, pretty much, increasingly so. And uh, to your point, if uh, if one were capable of stopping a watch with Mm -hmm. with one's uh, personal um, electromagnetic field, where would it end? Where I mean, because... 
Right. How many other devices do we have on our bodies at any given point these days? Yeah, you and I were talking about it. I mean, the the fact of the matter is is that we're emitting pretty low levels of EMF. Yeah. So if you're going to destroy a watch with your crazy strong EMF, then you're going to destroy everything else in your path. I mean, right now, I wouldn't even be able to record, right? Because I would be You would just be knocking out everything in the space. Yeah. It would be like an electronic muggle. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, our smartphones, our normal phones, uh, you know, little running devices that people have to, to keep track of their exercise. Yeah. Various other cybernetic enha- enhancements that creep uh, more and more into our daily lives. But we can't help to think that, you know, maybe, just maybe, there's something going on uh, with this EMF and, and our own little field that we're creating around us. And I can't help but think of something called the iPod shuffle effect. Actually, oh. I don't know if it's called the effect, but I'm going to go ahead and call it now. <laughs> and that's this idea that we, we begin to see, again, the patterns that don't necessarily exist. But if if I keep putting that watch on, you know, intermittently over a seven-year period and a different watch, and they're not working, then I begin to think or I begin to suspect that perhaps something fishy is going on with my own EMF, just like if I put my iPod on and it's still, it still, it, it, it seems to me to play the same five songs over and over again from The Sound of Music. Yeah, I mean, it's similar to the end. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> And then some people attach the added level like it's oh it's always playing that song when I do mm-hmm. this. Uh, you get into that area like oh well if you if you watch uh, you know the Wizard of Oz with uh, with uh, Pink Floyd playing that it that it matches up that we end up finding the uh, the connections and things. I mean we've we've talked about this about about this before. As humans, we are just always looking for the patterns and things. We're looking for pattern recognition so that we can figure out who we are and what we're doing in this world and. Uh, Sometimes we crank it up a little too far. Well, and we attach meaning to things, right? So yeah. in the in terms of the shuffle for for your iPod, for instance, you're attaching meaning to songs that mean something to you emotionally. Uh, so that sort of is amped up. So your brain is going to pick out that song, The Sound of Music, um, the album, mm-hmm. uh, for instance, a little bit more because it's tuned in. Because it says, oh, I remember that, that movie of my youth and this is the song about, I don't know, yodeling over hills and I get all warm and fuzzy when I hear it. Um, <laughs> you know, the same thing with an object, with a watch. If I go to put it on, a, you know, we talked about this with our podcast about objects uh, mm-hmm. last week, is that you began to really ascribe a lot of meaning to things. Uh, so you can see why it would be pretty easy to say, ah, I have this, I have this going on. In fact, you may have even, if you've ever been uh, suspected that you are a watch stopper, you might even think that you're someone who can turn off and on streetlights <laughs> just by walking by them. Yeah, and this is, we've, I feel like we've all had this happen where you're, you're walking along and you notice, oh, that streetlight went out. Weird. But, and, and I've never thought, oh, I must have, I must have done that. Now, like, it seems like that would be awfully self-centered of me to think, oh, wow, a light just went out that must have been me it's the same sort of thing that thinks oh that stranger looked over in my direction she must think i'm handsome you know it's like it's it's it seems to have there seems to be a self-centeredness to it that the world revolves around me and then i'm somehow affecting things in ways that don't really make well sense. you know and if it's late at night and you know you're just your heels are clacking against mm-hmm. the the concrete and you happen to be approaching a streetlight, it's a very dramatic moment, right, when it goes out. Yeah. And so you begin to think, oh, what's going on? And not thinking, oh, the, the sodium bulb is near its the end of its life cycle. 
and it's going to, you know, turn on and off. Well, you know, you, we put ourselves in the, you know, the, the mindset of our primordial ancestor. I mean, you, when, when we're trying to figure out if something is uh, is a risk or not, if something's a threat, mm-hmm. I mean, it's on one hand, it could be a could be just coincidence, or it could be a sign that something bad's going to happen, and our brains tend to decide with the possibility that there is a reason behind it. It's true. But your brain normally doesn't go like, hey, that's that sodium bowl, that high sodium intensity. Yeah. And, you know, the city's been using those lately. Um, but that being said, I don't want to, you know, wholesale, uh, poo-poo the idea of EMFs in general, because as you had pointed out, they are surrounding us at all times in, in various ways. Um, we get this invisible electromagnetic radiation in the form of AM and FM radio waves, visible light, microwaves, um, cell phone towers, electronics, appliances, are all radiating and an EMF. possibly as well our uh, coil spring mattress. Ah, oh, yeah, that this was is an crazy. amazing uh, study that uh, we ran across, and this was uh, this is from 2010, Halberg Independent Research in Sweden, um, and also the uh, Karolinska Institute in Sweden, and uh, they were looking specifically at at what role our box springs, our Western box springs, may play. In uh, in these elect- in electromagnetic fields, well, this is amplifying a- them, serving as basically an antenna for all the electromagnetic fields around us, and then transferring them directly into our bodies while we're sleeping. When then we spend a lot of time sleeping. Yeah, I mean, this is a real detective story. That's what I love about mm-hmm. this study is that because they they came across this data and they said, why is the cancer rate ten uh, percent higher in the left breast than in the right? And this left side bias, by the way, is true for both men and women, Mm -hmm. and it applies also to skin cancer, um, to melanoma, okay? But then they found that in Japan, there's no correlation between the rates of melanoma and breast cancer. Right. Okay, so they said, what could be going on here? So that's when they figured out that, yeah, the, the coils... We're actually, and this is, a, I'm going to go ahead and quote uh, R. Douglas Fields. He's from Scientific American because I, I think this, he lays it out really well. He says, as we sleep on our coil spring mattresses in the West, we are in effect sleeping on an antenna that amplifies the intensity of the broadcast FM TV radiation. Asleep on these antennas, our bodies are exposed to the amplified electromagnetic radiation for a third of our lifespans. As we slumber on a metal coil spring mattress, a wave of electromagnetic radiation envelopes our bodies uh, so that the maximum strength of the field develops 75 centimeters above the mattress in the middle of our bodies. So what's going on here? Uh, when you're sleeping on the right side, the body's left side will thereby be exposed to field strength about twice as strong as what the right side absorbs. Yeah, and previous uh, research has shown that men and women both tend to prefer to sleep on their right side, uh, and there are various possible reasons for, for this, uh, one being that the, that if you uh, sleep on your right side, you're mm-hmm. reducing the weight stress on the heart. Do the you sleep on your right side? Is not, the heartbeat is not as loud. Do I sleep on it? Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. I tend to sleep on my chest at first, and then I then I go into a hanging recline uh, position <laughs> from the ceiling. Uh, no, um, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah. You know, I never really think about it. I tend to wake up one way or the other. Well, I understand that less pressure on your your heart, right? Sleeping on your right side, but the whole thing about not being able to hear your heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, I, we live next to a train track, so uh, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm used to that. I'm pretty sure I'm used to my heartbeat. And as for sleep, I mean, I've never 
been like sometimes I'll be sleeping and be like, oh, my leg feels a little weird. Oh, the cat's laying on me in a strange position. But I'm never like, oh, my heart feels like it's a bit weird. Maybe I should shift over so there's less weight on it. I don't know. Mm. Or maybe I just always go to bed with a heavy heart. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, all right. So you're probably saying, like, what's up with Japan? How did they figure into all this? Well, Futons. In, yes. In Japan, most beds uh, do not have any sort of metal in them. So that's one thing. Um, and then their TV broadcast system does not use the 87 to 108 megahertz frequency that's used in Western countries. Well, there you go. It's a fascinating notion. It is. It is. So... That's that's this little uh, tidbit about EMFs. Again, we could go on and on about it because it's fascinating, and that's just one sort of example of how you can inadvertently create a situation with EMFs uh, that that could be dangerous. But for the most part, we'd like to think that we have EMFs under control, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Now, I would like to launch in a little more into debunking uh, watch stopping, just talking about some of the other possible reasons. Do it. Squash it. Just to, just to squash it a little bit. Uh First of all, moisture comes into play, mm-hmm. especially with you know your cheaper watches. That's something to keep in mind. It's like am I a am I am I a, a watch stopper mm-hmm. or watches completely dying on me all the time? And then B, am I swimming with them on? <laughs> am I going out in the rain a lot? I mean, there are so many environmental factors. Um, like it like it or not, technology can break over time, especially if you're putting it in, in an environment that is detrimental to the technology. Uh, also, clumsiness, right? Yeah, just straight up clumsiness. This thing's going on your 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 wrist, you know, and if you're like me, you talk with your hands. If you're like me, you sometimes like just are waving your hands a little bit as you walk down the hallway mm-hmm. and you just completely smash your hand into a, like a desk or something just out of sheer clumsiness. So, of course, it's going to break a watch every now and then. Again, especially if you tend to go towards some cheaper models. Yeah, now, see that this building the case against me again because I am a wild gesticulator, right? Yeah. So, sorry, watches. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we've, we've mentioned coincidence, the fact that we just end up ascribing some sort of importance to something that is basically just a freak occurrence. But then also there's confirmation bias. And this is the psychological cognitive science idea uh, that basically we have a tendency to search for or interpret information in a way that confirms preconceptions. So you get in your mind, hey, I'm a watch stopper. Then, of course, you're going to think about that every time a watch stops on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, you know, or you, you, it, it gets into the whole magical thinking and, and, uh, and weaving superstition in your life. If you go into it with this in mind, then yes, you're going to see those patterns. Just like if doe, a deer, a female deer comes on your iPod shuffle yet again, it right. seems like. And then there's also a, a sense that it, you know, might be a self-fulfilling prophecy or something that is essentially s- subconscious sabotage or psychological reversal. This is basically a situation where your subconscious objective thwarts your conscious objective. Um, and generally it's, it's, more based in stuff like on the conscious level, you really want your marriage to work, but on your subconscious, you're working against it. Or on your conscious level, you really want to be successful at work, but subconsciously, you want to destroy it. Most of the studies you look at with this, it tends not to revolve around something as petty as your wristwatch, but, eh, you know, it could, it could possibly explain what's happening. You want a new watch and you're yeah, going to destroy sub- it. Subconsciously, you hate your watch. Or subconsciously, <laughs> you want to break stuff. And, uh, hey, your watch is right there just begging for it. You resent time. Maybe so. Maybe so. But here's the thing. If people really do have electronic ma- electromagnetic fields that are breaking watches all the time, what they need to do is they need to get themselves an anti-magnetic watch. Oh, yeah. And this we've, is fancy. Yeah, well, we've, and we've had these things around for... Uh, 
Oh, about 60 years, I believe. Generally, the way they've worked in the past uh, is that you have uh, shielding involved. Uh, one of the more uh, popular watches out there that, that does this is the Rolex uh, Milagos, uh, which actually was developed for scientists working at CERN uh, because there are powerful magnetic fields all around them. They want to know what time it is, so it makes sense. Let's develop a watch that can withstand those pressures. So the Milagos uh, is resistant to a 1,000 Gauss, which uh, is a unit of uh, magnetic um, induction. Uh, and to put that in uh, frame of reference, uh, a small iron magnet has about 100 Gauss, and a refrigeration magnet has about 50. So, again, the existing Rolex uh, Milagos takes care of a 1,000. And uh, there's a new model from uh, Omega called the Omega Seamaster Aquaterra, and this one... Um, is uh, is really cool as well. Uh, cancels out the uh, the field and is uh, resistant to uh, fifteen thousand gauss. Uh, so, in other words, you're probably good because you'd have to 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 break one of these things. You'd have to be wearing it through an MRI machine or traveling to a neutron star. So I'm guessing that the cost of this is going to require Richard Branson dollars. Well, you know, it's a pricier option. But if you think that you're breaking watches all over the place, then uh, maybe it's what you need to try out. There you go. Yeah, or go for the Rolex model. I mean, shop around. Like I said, we've had this technology for years, so uh, an answer is out there if you really think that you're some sort of uh, electromagnetic freak. All right, so uh, on that note, let's uh, call the robot over. And see, here's another example. If uh, you really were um, putting out some sort of electromagnetic energy that breaks technology, you would have broken the robot ages ago. Uh, Well, he's in a Faraday cage. Oh, well, okay, he's safe then. All right, uh, Lena writes in and says, Hi, Robert and Julie. I just listened to your podcast and wanted to write in with a somewhat embarrassing confession. Uh, oh, and the podcast she listened to was our Objects of Love mm-hmm. podcast about object attachment, etc. She says, I'm 17 years old and I still sleep with a teddy bear. His name is Teddy. I've had him since uh, my first Christmas and I don't think I've ever s- spent more than two nights without him in my entire life. Sometimes I worry if I will have to take him to college with me and my roommate will think I'm weird or immature. But I have uh, a really strong attachment to him and he gives me a lot of comfort. I even gave him a personality and everything. My sister and I used to play with stuffed animals a lot. I doubt that you would find many 11th uh, graders like me uh, around still sleeping with a teddy bear but I also have attachments to other objects and I tend to keep things for the memories, even if I uh, never look at them again. I'm probably not unique in that sense, though. I love the podcast. Keep up the great work, and thanks, Lena. Cool. Well, I don't think it's, I don't think it's weird at all. I don't actually. either. Actually, I was thinking that, you know, back to our imaginary friends episode and about how we postulated that, you know, you have imaginary friends when you're little, and then that just gets converted into something else when you get older. Maybe you get an attachment to a certain character on a television show or a movie or a book. Um, but that we tend to have these relationships, these fictionalized relationships. So if it's in the form of a teddy bear, then I say, you know, great. I think that that's not uh, not a bad thing. I think that's actually a healthy thing. Yeah, plus I'm sitting here podcasting with a rubber triceratops in my hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, my sisters uh, and I, we had still to a certain extent have a rich uh, stuffed animal world that we refer to, the various characters, and we would refer to these characters and have them to some extent re- uh, interact with each other like all through high school and college. Um, in fact, um, up until recently, one of the uh, stuffed ones uh, named Drunk Monkey uh, still lived in the trunk of my car. See, that makes me pine for Kronja, which was a stuffed uh, ape that my brother and I had when we oh. were little that lived on Marijuana Island. Oh, <laughs> how did... How did- 
Where, where did, how did Marijuana Island enter the fold? Babysitters. Babysitters. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is Kronja now? I don't know. That's always been the mystery. Like, what oh. happened to Kronja? Well, every once in a while, it comes up every... Exactly. Never to come back. Uh, but yeah, that comes up every couple of years. My brother and I will be like, where did it go? <laughs> All right. Well, if you have something you would like to share with us, be it uh, prize teddy bears or apes that live in your trunk or on uh, Marijuana Island, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And particularly if you have thoughts about watch stopping. Do you think you're a watch stopper? If so, explain yourself. <laughs> What's your rationale? <laughs> and what do you think about it now that we've uh, explained some of the uh, properties going on here, both uh, electromagnetic and psychological? Uh, let us know. You can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Tumblr. We are stuffed to blow your mind on both of those. And we also have a Twitter account where our handle is Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 